0: Brothers and sisters, I am not concerned that this is all that are going to be here because last week there were folks showing up several minutes into it, so we'll just get going. and uh, Welcome to week two of Pacific Hope's Spring Adult Sunday School Session. Over the next seven weeks, we are going to be dipping our toes into the proverbial pool that is biblical counseling. This week we will be revisiting the topic of grief, which Pastor Robert walked us through in a very thorough study of the subject during the Sunday School session last fall. Now that was a study in the biblical understanding of grief. Whereas today's session is going to be an examination of the approach of biblical counseling in the life of a woman experiencing what she has identified to be a prolonged or an extended bout of grief in her life. Cassandra has encountered multiple recent losses of loved ones, most notably that of her brother uh, during covid and in last week's introduction to biblical counseling you might remember that i mentioned that biblical counseling is not some sort of a uh, quick fix and i mentioned that this is where we will use the word of god in order to help us not only focus on the presenting problem of grief but where scripture will help us to identify any potential underlying roots which are actually the source of that grief. Now, you'll recall last week that I mentioned that biblical counseling can actually heal the problems that we're going through and that it's not that that quick fix that I mentioned earlier, that it does take a little bit of time. And this 22-minute video that we're about to watch might give you the impression that I was exaggerating, that it might be something you can fix quickly. But understand that before we press play that what we're watching is actually just a bite-sized chunk that has been edited down to give you an idea of how the biblical pro- counseling process gets started. Sort of the, um, the getting to know you and identify what's going on part of the process. Rest assured that the work of biblical counseling and the healing that it provides will take time though it is time that is well spent. Now using the question and answer pieces of paper that have been handed out or you can find at the info booth up front, you'll have the opportunity to take some notes and we'll go over those notes after we've watched the video. The second handout that brother Josh Allen uh, was handing out, um, that is known in biblical counseling as a PDI, a Personal Data Inventory. And that's used um, to get to know the person who comes in for counseling in a more of a formal biblical counseling setting um not necessarily anything i've seen here at pacific hope uh, but it gives you an idea of what he's talking about when he refers to it in the video and uh, well with that we'll go ahead and pray and get into this week's video lord god almighty we gather today to thank you for your word, to thank you for the cross, to thank you for your faithfulness to your people, whom you have called to yourself. Your word which you gave that we may be complete, equipped for every good work, the cross where the redemptive work of Christ was completed, and your faithfulness, which sustains us as we make our way through this world, ever dependent upon your strength to guide us to glory. We pray that you would keep us mindful of these things, these things that we're thankful for as as we consider this, this topic of grief and learn how we as members of your body might encourage one another to train our focus upon you alone by the finished work of Christ alone, as you've revealed it to us through your word alone. Be with us as we strive together to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Thing that bothered me that didn't go my way was I couldn't understand why my dad left and I asked God about this over and over in my prayers as a young kid and even when I lost my sister my brother my mother in a short amount of time and even more recently in 2020 with my brother I was so disappointed and angry because I could not come up with an answer how to even help my brother he was in a hospital for three weeks and I couldn't touch him I could not call him I could not even communicate with him. I just didn't understand. That was a pretty rough season for all of us.
2: Anybody would love to have Cassandra as a neighbor, because she is such a delight to be around. And you have neighbors like that too. They're outwardly happy, but inwardly they have wounds and hurts and disappointments that
1: deeply impact their lives. I'm looking at these sessions with Dr. Gregg as a new door opening for me to be vulnerable enough to say what I'm facing, because I, I can get into a point where I just work with work and I don't really pay attention to mental health self-care. And to to be aware of what could be going on inside your heart and mind, that I can say, okay, I can get the the feedback I need to help me with this angle of grief or that level of stress or with anxiety, the thing that come out of grief, then I believe it's gonna help me with whole health and wellness.
2: Cassandra believes that her primary struggle is grief. She can't seem to heal from the wounds that have been inflicted on her. And and this is serious business. A secular or non-biblical Christian counselor would likely offer condolences, and then a bromide of platitudes. Tomorrow's a brighter day, God works all things together for our good. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. A biblical counselor will offer sympathy, but the biblical counselor needs to go deeper than slogans and self-help mantras. The biblical counselor will use the Bible to expose, diagnose, and offer cure for the hurting heart. For that process to work, a biblical counselor must make sure the counselee understands the Bible rightly especially if that false understanding is a root of the counselee's struggle.
1: The Bible does teach that Christians ought to love themselves. I believe it is sinful to not love yourself because the opposite of love is hate. You know, hate stirs up all kinds of strife and all kinds of stuff like that, and those are behaviors that God wants us to really stay away from.
2: Cassandra appears to have purchased a secular worldview that's been incorporated into her Christian theology, self-help and self-love. These concepts, while not entirely wrong, are loaded with anti-biblical tentacles that cause a myriad of problems, including the inability to recover from traumatic
3: experiences. We're preparing to meet with Cassandra First of all, she's very involved in self-esteem, teaching it, believing it, affirming it for herself. So we wanna understand what she means by that and how that's connected to pride. On her PDI, she listed certain things about perfectionism, about blame shifting, about a difficulty in owning when she sins. And perhaps self-esteem is what's driving some of that or maybe a false understanding of self-esteem. So we're gonna sit down with her and ask her a few questions about self-esteem and how it's connected to pride in her life. Hello. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Geoffrey. Nice to meet you. Tell me a little bit about your work. It says here that you're a traveling instructor.
1: It involves helping mostly uh, preteens and teens with things such as modeling, also self esteem.
3: When you're helping them find their own voice, what's the importance of that? What, why do that? Why is that the approach?
1: To pretty much learn things like self confidence.
3: After meeting with Cassandra, it was apparent that self-esteem is a big issue in her life. That's going to be the first area that we'll tackle to help her see how the scripture speaks of self-esteem and that self-esteem isn't necessarily a good thing.
2: Remember, Cassandra's presenting issue that she's seeking help for is grief. But Dr. Gifford believes that he's unearthed the source of her grief, an incorrect biblical theology. Let's see if he's right. And let's see how Cassandra responds. The Bible never commands us to love ourselves. The Bible merely assumes that we already do. And that's why Jesus used love for self as the high water mark for loving others. Our problem isn't that we don't love ourselves enough. The problem is actually that we love ourselves too much.
1: If you don't love yourself, that's having a foundation that is not of God. Because when we read the scriptures, and what I'm learning is God is love. Once I can relate to God being love and we're made in his image, it makes perfect sense that he wants us to love ourselves. And that makes all the difference when you love and put your passion into it and you serve God with that passion. And I'm just glad to be able to tap into that type of love because what other love is there besides that, that can match it? There is not.
3: The Bible talks about self-esteem. Would you grab your Bible, let's go to Ephesians 5. When Paul is talking to husbands here, he talks about the way that, if we were to say self-esteem, self-love, self-confidence, he speaks of that here. And the context is a husband and a wife. Would you mind reading verse 28 through 29 for
1: us? So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ also does the church
3: so this is the call for a husband he says husband love your wife but in verse 29 he says something that's interesting because it's it's like a parenthetical comment and he says for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it no one ever hated their own body no one ever hated their own self but Rather, we nourish and cherish ourselves. And he says, just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. So in this context, Paul is saying, hey husband, I want you to love your wife like you love yourself. And you love yourself a lot. When the Bible speaks about self-esteem here, it assumes that you esteem yourself. When the Bible speaks of it, it assumes that you value yourself and you nourish yourself. Is this something that you've heard before or familiar with?
1: I've heard it before, yet I've heard it expressed in different ways.
3: Let's go to one more passage. Go to 2 Timothy chapter three. This is actually a church that's struggling a little bit. There are false teachers and it's indicative of there being problems. And Paul's even gonna say that this is not going to go away. It's gonna get worse. Do you mind reading verse two for us?
1: For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. One of the things that
3: Paul is telling Timothy here is that when we love ourselves a lot, that's not indicative of things getting better, it's actually indicative of things getting worse. To be a lover of self is not something that's commended here. It's something that's actually condemned as being a sign of the end times or the sign of greater difficulties coming. When we think about self-esteem or self-confidence, the world is teaching us that we have to believe more in ourselves and take confidence in ourself. The world's saying that, hey, Cassandra, hey, Greg, you guys need to take pride in who you are. You need to be confident in who you are. But what the scripture says is that we need to take confidence in Christ and to put no confidence in our flesh. Self-esteem is something that actually started in a secular environment. Humanistic psychology started teaching that in order for us to be the best us, to be actualized, that we had to have our needs met and we had to have all of these criteria met for us to be actualized and become better people. So this idea has crept into some of the way that we as Christians think because Instead of saying I need Christ, we think I need to be my best self or I need to believe more in myself. In the scripture, the scripture is going to say in in almost every area that it speaks about how you view yourself, that we're not to put confidence in our own selves and in our own flesh, but to put that confidence in Christ. I'm actually dependent on him and in and of myself. I am not going to be able to do it without him. And so my confidence in myself is almost decreasing as my confidence in Christ is increasing. So we're having to critique and say, if, if I have any confidence in myself, it's because of what Christ has done in me. If I have any confidence in my own self, it's the confidence I have in Christ in me, not, not in my own giftedness. Because self-esteem or self-confidence is something that is actually a hazard to me, but confidence in Christ is something that I'm called to place. So, Paul says in Philippians 3, He says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Although I could, he goes on to list all the ways he could. He says, I put no confidence in my own flesh. Not my achievements, not my pedagogy, not my pedigree, not any of the accomplishments and certifications and degrees that I have. I put my confidence in Christ.
2: In 1969, Nathaniel Brown wrote a paper titled The Psychology of Self-Esteem. A California politician began to promote the benefits of self-love in the education system, insisting teachers shouldn't use red ink because it would diminish self-esteem in the children. In 1999, the child's book, The Lovables in the Kingdom of Self-Esteem, encouraged kids to chant, I am lovable, I am lovable. The self-esteem craze deeply rooted in New Age philosophy began to infiltrate the church. Today, our world assumes that if we're going to succeed, we need to believe in ourselves, love ourselves and trust ourselves. Cassandra has embraced some of that thinking into her Christian worldview. And this incorrect biblical theology could well be at the root of her inability to overcome grief. For decades, psychologists and too many Christians have attempted to make a scientific case for self-esteem and self-love. The logic is straightforward. Those who succeed tend to have a high view of themselves, while those who don't succeed have a low view of themselves. Therefore, if we increase a person's self-esteem, then we will improve their success rate. While the observation may be accurate, the interpretation and application of self-help science is 100% incorrect, biblically speaking. Will Dr. Gifford be able to persuade Cassandra of that? Will he be able to show that her self-esteem theology is negatively impacting her relationships because of the fruit that self-love produces, namely pride?
1: Does my fear of being rejected paralyze me and keep me from being close to others? I believe it can at times, and even where the grief and the fear are combined. And I believe it causes me at times to procrastinate on things like that, on bonding with people and being vulnerable, because I always think I'm in control.
3: Let me show you something in Proverbs 18. Do you mind going back to Proverbs okay, chapter 18? Yeah, Proverbs,
1: yes. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Just think of
3: the times when we can push people back and out like, "Hey, we don't want to hear that from you. We don't want to listen to you. And there's even, it says here, sound judgment. So it's not like we're just saying we're breaking out against people who maybe aren't the best of influences, those that are wicked. They're not trying to honor the Lord according to Psalm 1. But we're rejecting sound wisdom, we're rejecting good relationships. When we're rejecting those and withdrawing, one of the things it says is that we're seeking our own desire on that occasion. At times our isolation and our desire to put up boundaries is a selfish desire. And the selfish desire is not that we would love them and do good to them, it's that we would protect ourselves and we would be okay. Are you okay with me saying that?
1: I guess I'm trying to understand it from the personal experiences I've had where I look at it could be too much drama for me sometimes mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to, I guess I'm keeping myself safe, but I don't know even how to good. to manage that.
3: Yeah, good. I wouldn't want you to take this verse and say, okay, like, let me go into dangerous context with bad people and just let down my guard. No, I, I wouldn't want you to take this I, would, I just want you to take this to say that big picture self-protection isn't what's of most importance, and that if I'm overly protective of self, I may actually miss out on what God has for me, which are relationships, good relationships, friendships, community. We think of church and the body of Christ, that at times you're going to miss out on those if self-protection is number one in your life.
1: Generally, I do worry about what people think about me, wanting always to fit in. Maybe that was being the middle child, you know, so used to being in that snug fit in place. Over time, I realized that there's some things I needed to do where it's important for me not to fit in with the crowd.
3: Would you go to Romans chapter 11? What our pride can do is our pride can actually lead to self-protection. It's funny because I talked about self-esteem and placing confidence in yourself and your flesh. And biblically, we're called to place our confidence in Christ. What our pride can do, our own desires, our selfish desires can do, is they can make me the center of all things instead of Christ the center of all things. Verse 36 of Romans 11, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen, speaking of God. But if we were to now make this about ourselves, we could read it as for from us and through us and to us are all things. To us be glory forever, amen. You know, our pride puts us at the center and everything is about us, everything's for us, everything's from us, and we're receiving the glory. So relationships become about us. Circumstances become about us. Jobs become about us. All of this becomes about us. Instead of, I'm confident in Christ, I'm confident in what He's done, I'm confident in His abilities, not my own. If we're not careful, self-esteem and pride go hand in hand because pride is me putting confidence in my flesh, thinking more of myself, thinking more highly of myself, making myself the center of my universe. And self-esteem says, yeah. Cassandra, you do that because you're great. Take confidence in yourself. But the scripture says, Cassandra, your confidence isn't in yourself, it's in Christ. Because I don't wanna speak for you, but speaking for myself, I have weaknesses and limitations and Christ does not. I have inabilities and Christ does not. What gives me boldness is not my own accomplishments and abilities, it's Christ. We are our best self when we are dependent on Christ for everything. The words self-esteem and pride
2: are synonymous. It's inevitable that a high view of self leads to something God resists, like pride. The Bible speaks a better word. When we rightly see ourselves as fallen, broken, and sinful people, and we acknowledge that we are nothing, that's when Christ becomes our everything. And the ongoing understanding that we are bad, but simultaneously loved and forgiven it helps us to be humble and not depressed. This is completely foreign to the notion of self-love or self-loathing. To embrace the truth that we are not lovable, but God loves us anyway, causes us not to boast in the flesh, but to boast in Christ. And if Cassandra, and perhaps you, can discover and embrace that understanding, then God has you exactly where he wants you, humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and therefore self-esteem and self-love theology have no place in the life of the believer. If that theologically incorrect notion has infiltrated your thinking, do not be surprised if a root of bitterness begins to grow. If we are loving ourselves supremely, then suddenly a tragedy befalls you. You'll be inclined to shake your fist at the heavens and ask, why don't you love me as much as I do? To avoid the inevitable self-love disaster, the self-esteem believer must be urgent in developing a battle plan to have your mind
3: transformed. Cassandra, one of the things that I'm going to ask of you is that the things we've discussed in counseling, you would take home and start to implement and to study, and the ways that I do that is just giving you some homework assignments, some practical things to do. And so I want to start off with Philippians 3, and this is a passage that I want you to spend some time with. He starts by saying, I don't put confidence in the flesh, I put confidence in Christ. And that's going to be part of a study that I want you to do, so I want you to use this passage and at least two others. I want you to go through Ephesians 5, 2 Timothy 3, and Philippians 3, and begin to see what they talk about in regard to putting confidence in ourselves, self-esteem, Paul says putting confidence in the flesh. So just self-esteem, the study of self-esteem in the Scriptures the next thing that i want you to do is i'd like you to commit to memory romans eleven thirty six. 36 that's from him through him to him are all things to him be glory forever and it's a way of reminding us that if there's ever a temptation for cassandra or greg to make ourselves the center of things for from us and through us and to us that we have to be able to see that's our pride and our pride is not esteeming christ above all things our pride is esteeming us above all things all right next thing church involvement I know you're part of a church, and on the PDI, it says that you get to go occasionally in person. So I want you to think of your church involvement like this, that you are a member of the body of Christ, and the body needs you, and you need that body. And the reason why is that long-term, after counseling is done, that the body of Christ is the place that you'll receive care. You'll receive people sharing God's word with you. You'll receive your pastor teaching you. And as you receive all of those things, it's God's plan for your ongoing growth. You open to that? Yes. Good. So let me do this, let me pray for us, and then we'll be finished, okay? Yes. After talking with Cassandra, we attempted to go through a biblical understanding of self-esteem. The scripture teaches that our self-esteem is a liability. At times it's outright sinful. The esteem that we should have isn't in our own strength and our own flesh, to use the term in Philippians 3, but it's the esteem we have of Christ. Self-protection, boundaries, preventing others from being able to hurt us is often a form of pride. The answer is not to be foolish and reckless in our relationships, but the answer is to find our safety in Christ, to make our lives about Him first and foremost, not protecting ourselves. The humble person recognizes that it's all about Christ, not about me. And only then we are on the path to truly being transformed.
1: This counseling session has been so tremendous for my life personally. I can sense that there's been a breakthrough in my life for the better and more to come.
0: idea of what i was referring to when i said this is just a bite-sized chunk. i mean that that took off pretty quickly, didn't it? <laughs> Started off it's grief. And then they got into it's incorrect theology, pride kind of kind of took off rather quickly, didn't it? Like i said, just a bite-sized chunk. As you saw there at the end, she was when she filmed that last little bit of video, she had been uh, 16 weeks along at that point so what you saw was just the opening salvo if you will and um, wanted to go over a couple of questions of topics and and things points that were covered in the video to just keep them get them fresh on our minds and, and keep them there as we consider what we just shared because um, being honest with ourselves um, Quite a, quite a many of us have been in the midst of grief, and we can see here that just focusing on that one little bit, that one, that one piece, you know, considering it grief, we're not considering that there are underlying issues that can keep it there and, and even prevent us from working through it. On your sheet of paper there, um, I'm going to ask you to participate, if you would, and if you'd speak up a little bit, so everyone in the, in the room can hear you. Uh, first question is, how would the culture or secular psychologists console a grieving person? Anyone catch that? Condolences, right? Right, platitudes slogans self-help mantras if if you're hearing it in the world um when when people are trying to comfort one another odds are you're going to get that from a uh, a secular psychologist or a secular psychiatrist Uh, next question how would a biblical counselor on the other hand console a grieving person by pointing out that their hope and confidence is in Christ. Exactly. They sympathize with the person because you know, we're coming from the same place. We're born of the same spirit. And so we sympathize with one another. But we don't rest in the just focusing on the issue that, that they're coming in with. We want to open up. The word and start to whittle down to what the root of the issue may be. What is one difficulty that we may face if we don't have a biblical understanding of ourselves? Pride, absolutely. It's also difficult to overcome traumatic events. In fact, they were mentioning that that pride is something that can actually be a roadblock to being able to overcome traumatic events because you're focused more on yourself than you are on Christ because Christ is where we find that healing. Christ is where we find that deliverance, that victory over the problems that we seem to be facing. So pride becomes a sort of wall <laughs> that, that stands between us and that healing. And what happens when we begin to depend on ourselves less and less? Did you all catch where, what he was saying there? Or maybe it's just the Sunday school answer. We, <laughs> we depend on Christ more. Exactly. Because when our confidence in ourself decreases, that's when we have the ability to, again, focus on Christ more and ourselves less. As, as uh, John the Baptist was saying, that it's I must become less as Christ becomes more couple of things to remember is that uh, the Bible doesn't command us to love ourselves in fact we saw in Ephesians where we're told to love others as we love ourselves because in fact we love ourselves quite a bit and when we do that we're, we're again taking the focus off of ourselves and putting it more on Christ. And that gives us the opportunity to actually experience some healing in that area. And again, when we're focusing on Scripture and not ourselves, that's where we can begin to see that clearly. I think we'll just hit uh, one more question here. What should seeing ourselves as sinners, yet saved by the love, mercy, and grace of God, produce in ourselves. Excuse me? Humility? Humility? Exactly. You heard uh, Dr. Dale Johnson mention that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is a particularly precarious Position for each of us to be in when we find ourselves in a position of pride, remembering that passage. Well, now I'm in a place where God is not, He's He's not giving grace to me because I'm, I'm focused squarely on myself. I'm I'm being pride-filled. It's when I humble myself, which we all know what that feels like, right? I mean, when when we we're faced with our sin, and when we came to understand our sin against God, we had to humble ourselves in order to experience that repentance and faith that God was offering. So it's not as though we don't understand what humbling ourselves feels like. Thank you for your patience. We're gonna get better at this, I promise. And by we, I mean me, as we go through these weeks. So uh, let's pray and I'll cut you loose to get ready for the uh, service here. Father in heaven, we wanna lift up Cassandra um, and all of those who are currently fighting against feelings of grief No matter how long that that season may be, that season of grief in our lives, praying that this reminder of your power and sovereignty over every part of your creation would not be simply dismissed as some sort of religious cliche. Your word reminds us of our place in your coming kingdom and your promise to abide in us as we abide in you. And may this lesson remain with us as we look forward to hearing your gospel proclaimed in today's sermon, as we walk through our week, and as we prepare for next week to learn how to deal with our brothers and sisters who are experiencing anxiety. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen.